Welcome to this episode of All Stars of Turf, sponsored by Foley and Air2G2. Our guest and recipient in this episode is Ralph Keppel of East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta. Ralph, great to talk with you and good to see you. Thank, thank you, John. I'm uh, very honored and surprised to, to be on the call. Well, you, when I first notified you, you said there were about 100 other people you could think of who were worthy of this. I'm not sure if there's a hundred. There might be a couple, but I'm not sure there's a hundred. But uh, uh, anyway, congratulations, and we're just delighted to have you. So, and it's been a few years since we've had a chance to catch up in person. So this is uh, almost like being there in person. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's to, the new normal. It's great to share some time with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you have been the superintendent at East Lake since 1992. Was that correct? Right. I hit 30 years in February. Okay. Now you're an Ohio native and an Ohio state guy. How did somebody who is obviously a Buckeye through and through, I see, I can see a, uh, a picture there of Ohio stadium on your bulletin board or what looks to be Ohio stadium yep. there on your bulletin board. And I know you have a, a little model of the stadium there in your office. Um, so uh, somebody who's Buckeye through and through, how did you end up in Atlanta? Um, sort of a long story, but sort of not. Uh, I was an assistant in, in Ohio at Lancaster Country Club in Lancaster, Ohio for five and a half years. Um, and I had spent the last eh, year, year and a half trying to find a superintendent position to move up to. And, and at that time, Ohio wasn't building a whole lot of golf courses. Um, right after I left, they started building a whole lot, but that's fine. Um, I had a, at that time, a girlfriend that had moved down here um, and she kept telling me I should come down here and check it out. And I started looking at some job ads and I started interviewing at some places and um, was very, very fortunate to end up being hired by Courtney Young at, at uh, Setting Down Creek, which is now Setting Down Creek Ainsley Golf Club. Uh, and he's a guy I consider my mentor. He's, he's been there since 1987, so I, I'll never catch him. <laughs> but I learned a lot from them in a short period of time. Now, hang on one second. I'm going to reach over here. and I've got a fan going. I'm just going to turn that off. So 30 years, obviously, that is quite an accomplishment, particularly in today's day and age when uh, it's no secret that um, – it's no secret that the, 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 the longevity, typical career longevity just is not there. What's been the secret to your success to not only last uh, uh, 30 years as a superintendent, but to do it at the same place? Uh, you know, it's, it really is almost unheard of nowadays. I think a lot of that has to do with we've, we've been run up until recently kind of as a single owner model, although it wasn't exactly we have a foundation, but Tom Cousins was whatever he wanted with the foundation that was going to happen. Um, he's kind of out of the picture now. He's down in Florida and um, he doesn't really come up here much anymore. His daughter's on the board. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I think really – he likes people that are loyal uh, and, and tries to do things 
you know, the right way to make things the way he wants it. And, you know, that's been what I've strived to do. Uh, it, it's been a, there's a lot of long-term employees here at Eastlake. Um, it's just, it's a great place to work. They treat us well. Um, they value us. Um, kind of a hard place to walk away from, to be honest. Yeah, for those who might not be aware of the affiliation between the golf club and the foundation, explain that relationship a little bit for our viewers. Okay. Um, and there's, there's a lot of layers to the foundation, but um, Tom Cousins is a prominent, was a prominent builder here in Atlanta. Um, at one time, he owned the Atlanta Hawks and the, uh, uh, the Atlanta Flames when they had a hockey team here. Um, he, in 19, two years after I got here in 1994, really December 93, the club was for sale. He grew up here and, um, you know, he kind of watched the sort of demise of the club. And, and I think he saw an opportunity, something that, that, you know, been working in his head over the years. He saw an opportunity to buy the club and use the club as a catalyst um, to turn the neighborhood around. So he, he devised his plan um, basically with a corporate membership model. Corporations joined, they donated a certain amount of money to the foundation when they joined as part of their, their initiation fee. Uh, they started programs in the neighborhood to increase education, to, to provide lower income housing. It was affordable, but mixed with um, market value with the thought that people would, that basically had never really had role models and seen parents go to work, would see people going to work. And, and those people, when they first started that, those apartments, the market rate tenants were encouraged to reach out and try and help these people understand, you know, how life worked and how, how you can advance yourself. It's just things that they never had the opportunity to get. and the model has probably worked beyond anyone's imagination. Um, they've taken it now nationwide. Uh, I forget how many cities now, maybe somewhere around 20 cities now that are doing something similar, not only with the golf course, but most of them are tied into a golf course. Um, it's just been, you know, John, it's been an amazing thing to be a part of and to watch how things around here have changed. Um, it's really hard to describe. Yeah, the the foundation does a lot of really good work to revitalize that neighborhood, that East Lake neighborhood, uh, and and give a, a hand up to some of Atlanta's most at risk population. Uh, to play a, it has to be rewarding for you to play a critical role and being able to be. Um, at least uh, uh, the steward of a revenue stream that, that helps promote the foundation's work. In, in yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly something that as a team, our agronomy team, we, we stress it to them a lot. And I think everybody down here understands, um, you know, how important our role is in this. And I think everybody's bought into it and, you know, like everybody else, every other department here, we've got a lot of long-term employees here. Um, partly because I think they understand what we're doing. 
partly because we we treat them well we we pay them well and and you know it's just we're we're all about team and family here and there's also we did a story on TurfNet recently where there is a, a, a just getting started on the, the ground floor of a training program there that will, uh, you know, hopefully uh, in the future help feed mechanics into the industry. Maybe you could brief us a little bit just real quickly on that. Yeah, I, I hope we can get it going. It's It's been a struggle just to get people into it so far, but um, the idea is that we bring some people in or one person at a time, probably, um, and they will work under Chris Lewis, our shop manager, and he will teach them the trade, essentially, um, and prepare them uh, for an opportunity to move to another club, hopefully within a year to two year period, become an assistant mechanic or mechanic somewhere else, and then we bring in somebody else. We're hoping to start to build a little bit of a pipeline so we can start preparing mechanics that have some background because it's so hard to find and we've been fortunate here Chris has been with us for a long time and he started out as a motorcycle mechanic but I was fortunate that I had David Blowers here mechanic supreme as far as I'm concerned trained him up and you know Chris has really thrived with it um but you know we've we've gone through the struggle trying to find shop managers through the past several years and it, it's it's tough and it's not getting any easier um it seems like for whatever reason trades just aren't something people are looking at enough um i don't think people really understand the kind of kind of life you could actually lead in a trade it's unfortunate but hopefully we can get that word out there and start getting people to to get involved right now Obviously, at a place like Eastlake, you have, and, and there are several clubs around Atlanta that fit the same uh, model that have vastly superior resources than some other facilities. What is the, given that, uh, that place, that tier, so to speak, in, in the golf business, what do you see as the responsibility for, for programs like the, the Eastlake Foundation and try to train mechanics throughout the throughout the industry what is the east lakes role in trying to you know be a good partner and give back well fortunately we you know we had a a foundation that does that and kind of leads the way so you know i feel like yes we we've got more resources than a lot of people and if there's any way that we can help other clubs who may not have those resources, but if there's some way we can help them, and we certainly want to do that. We want to be able to promote golf. Um, you know, our logo is golf with a purpose, and I think it goes beyond the club. I think it's we can have a purpose outside of Eastlake. Now, everybody knows, or most people know Eastlake as the home of the Tour Championship. I think you've been uh, in the, the early days of uh, when, the, when they brought it to East Lake, it was kind of an off again, on again. It, it, it popped in and out for a couple of years, but uh, it's been a long time home for the tour championship now. I believe you've hosted 20 or 21 of them. 21. Uh, I'm sorry? 21. 21, okay. 
good. Um, explain, you know, there's a lot of eyes on that tournament, obviously, end of the year, uh, sort of the World Series of golf, so to speak. Uh, what are the pressures that come with that and the pride that comes with uh, also being the longtime home of a tournament of that significance? Uh, you know, there's obviously uh, another tournament in Georgia that's been a long time home for a pretty big event, but, you know, tour championship is, is certainly right up there. Uh, you know, may, maybe not one of the majors, but it's very, not, not very far behind either. There's certainly pressure involved. Um, we, we kind of put pressure on ourselves you know, after every tournament, we, we sit down and we compare notes and we try to figure out what we can do better for the next year. Um, and I, I feel like we've done a, a really, really good job of finding things that is, I got to tell you, it's getting harder and harder to find. Um, you know, every year presents us different challenges too. So some years it's a little more difficult to get to those um, conditions. And some day, some years it's easy. Uh, this year so far, the spring had been, you know, pretty cool here and it, nothing has really been growing. Uh, this week, suddenly it's 90s and things are taking off. So got to tell you, as much as I don't love being in the heat, I'm glad to see some weather that grows some grass in. So, um, you know, if we can pull off everything that we've done every year, we, we, we provide the best conditions. Our goal is to provide the best condition golf course they see all year. Um, since it's the last event of the year, it's obviously a, a very high goal. Um, if we get feedback from the players, any of the players that say, you know, this is as good as we've seen all year, then I feel like we've accomplished our goal. Um, and when that happens in the last several years, it's, it's been pretty good. Um, that's yeah, a lot of pride involved in that. And then the team down here is, you know, they really work their tails off to get ready for this event. And when they get that kind of feedback, I think it, you know, it makes them understand why we do what we do and why we sometimes have to push them. And we explain that to them all the time, you know, and remind them, you know, we have this event coming, we're inside a hundred days now. Um, you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, you've been here and experienced, you know, the end game, they get it. And, and, there's always a lot of pride at the end of that week I'm, I'm on a job well done. Yeah. The last time I came to visit you, I think was in 2016. And that was the first year you had that famed reversal of the nine hole layouts. And we'll get to that in a second, but I remember that, and you've always been very accommodating anytime <laughs> anybody you know, from within the media wants to stop by, you've always rolled out the red carpet, made everybody feel very welcome. And, but it was very evident then as we drove around for the little bit of time that you did have, just how much was going on. The place was always a buzz with activity. And I remember at the end of the visit, uh, somebody from the EPA dropped in to talk, had some questions for you about something and about water, something about water, but just what, just, you know, what's that buzz like when you're in that, that last, I think we were probably about a month out, maybe or so from the tournament at that time. It wasn't very long. You should, you should come advance week. 
<laughs> it's, it's tenfold worse. I'm, I'm sure. So just that buzz and you have so many uh, uh, balls in the air to juggle. And, you know, while you might have managers who are very good at, at um, handling the, the team for you in moments like that, when it comes time to dealing with the really big stuff, every, you know, you're the guy that has to deal with all of that. And just, you know, and, and this isn't, um, you know, a mini tour event or anything like that. This is the, the big shows rolling into town and everything has to be perfect. Just describe a little bit about that buzz that you're talking about in the, the weeks leading up to it and all the people just dropping in. Ralph, we have to talk about this right now. Yeah, there's, it's probably the last four weeks when things really get crazy, but really the last two weeks before the tournament, when all the vendors start showing up, we start off with Schaefer sports comes in and they're building flooring and sides and hospitality structures. But when they get closer to about two weeks out, then you start getting people building the interiors. You've got the people bringing in generators and AC and all that. Um, you've got the merchandise tent getting loaded up and it's just, there's a whirlwind of people everywhere. And the hardest thing is just trying to keep an eye on everybody, make sure they're doing the right thing. Um, advance week is, is even worse. And then you got the catering people in and they're trying to get their stuff set up and as quickly as possible. And you got the restroom trailers and, portalettes and all that coming in and it's just it's trucks running all over the place thankfully we've got 12 foot wide roads out here that most of the time people are pretty good about looking ahead and waiting on somebody if they see somebody coming towards them and waiting till they get by but a lot of the times it's just trying to make sure that they're doing those things and not going off the road and rutting things up at the last minute um but at the same time, it kind of makes things go pretty quickly. Uh, TV towers, they go up in the last week as well. That's another thing. But all that stuff, I've got to go around and check irrigation for and power or whatever else is in the ground. Um, I've been um, I've been the person doing that since the first tournament, and I, I guess I'm reluctant to let it go because I know the property probably better than anybody else so right um i still do all that yeah i think i think in 2016 they were when the some of the infrastructure that was going up grandstands and so forth and this isn't anything i i don't think anybody who doesn't have to deal with a tournament really thinks about and correct me if i'm wrong but i believe you had said that the grandstands that they were putting up then had come from uh uh, the tournament at Sawgrass. Yeah, a lot of our infrastructure that Schaefer uses comes from Sawgrass to here. And they'll, we actually are already getting deliveries of those things right now. Uh, started last week. And they're going to start building hospitality uh, May 30th, Memorial Day, actually. Um, so that's one of those things. It was kind of funny in 2007 when we had all the issues with the Greens and people were saying, well, we should move the tournament. Well, it takes four months to build all the all the structure you can't just pick them up and move them right and i don't think anybody really unless they've been involved in an event i don't think anybody really understands how long that process is and how long it takes to take it back down 
So Eastlake, for those who might not know, the uh, historic home course of Bobby Jones. Um, and uh, he was obviously the name in the, the early period in golf. And probably, you know, he had some television shows that he did way back in the day that if you dig around enough on, uh, on cable now, you can still find every once in a while. Um, and probably the, well, not probably, definitely the first celebrity, I think, golfer ever. And, uh, but his, his persona still to this day is just, is just huge. And what is it, you know, I guess describe what it's like to be the caretaker of Bobby Jones golf course. Yeah, John, I've been asked that question several times and I, I really don't know how to, how to answer that. It, it's, it's kind of, you, you feel his spirit out here. You know that he played, you know, on this property and he spent a, a lot of time here and it's not historically the same golf course as it was when he was here, but the, the, the corridors play the same right now. And, um, it's not hard to kind of picture him out here trying to play with, you know, I, I can't imagine what he'd do with modern equipment. Um, you know, they didn't have irrigation back then, so he still hit the ball a long way off the tee. I know that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's – And make it look easy. They all make it look very easy, and it's not. <laughs> um, he made it look very easy. Uh, you know, if you look at those old films, his swing really isn't complicated. Uh, he sure hit it well. It's – it's one of those things where you, you, there is a lot of pride knowing that he played here and that this is his, was his home golf course. And um, there's a lot of things here tied to Bobby Jones and a lot of the things we do here events are named after him or his putter or, you know, just things like that. Not something we're ever going to forget. That's for sure. Yeah. What do you think he'd think of the layout now? Um, I think you'd like it. I think, I don't know if you know this, we're going to renovate in 2023. Um, and Andrew Jones or Andrew Green is going to be our architect and it's going to be, um, I guess you would call it a historical renovation. There's going to be a lot of the, we've got some really good photos that he's found of the golf course in the thirties and forties where all the Ross features were still in place, or you could see where they were in place. Maybe it had been grown in, but it still had a scar in the ground. A lot of those features are going to come back. And I think when this renovation is done, it's going to look a whole lot more like it did when Bobby Jones played here. But I think I have a lot of confidence in Andrew. And I think the golf course is going to be, while historically looks the same, it's going to play for the modern game. And I, I'm really excited to see what he does. And the plans I've seen so far, I'm pretty excited. Sure. Obviously, there are a lot of great architects out there. And it would be hard to go wrong with many of them. What was it about, you know, I've seen Andrew's work firsthand, his renovation or restoration, I think is a better description of what he did at Inverness, another Ross course up in Toledo in your home state. 
uh, is just fabulous. And I think did a really good job of, of being able to mix in the changes in the game with uh, some historic perspective on what Ross had intended. Yeah. Obviously with changes to sticks and balls, it can't be exactly the way it was, or people would just, even the, the, the most average golfer could, could slay some uh, historic layout with changes to technology, um, but did a very good job at, at, at really mixing the two together and, and turning out something that I think Ross would have been proud of. So what was, what was the deciding factor to go with Andrew? We had a committee that, that did the final choosing. Um, but I think a lot of it was, um, he has a very good plan in his head. He was able to really kind of speak to that, what he saw here and uh, his references from Inverness, from uh, um, Congressional Scioto, which I got to go actually see last fall when I went for a football game. <laughs> um, Hopefully it wasn't the Oregon game. Uh, now it's Penn State. <laughs> Don't bring that up. <laughs> it was it was really cool to see his work at Sioda and see what he was doing there and kind of picture some of the things he's doing there. Um, we'll be doing some similar things here. They were done in a very similar time frame. And, and Donald Ross's work changed over the years, and we were pretty early in his career in 1913. So, and Inverness was done around the same time as well. Yeah. Uh, but what he did at Congressional still blows my mind. Um, but the thing that I think really wowed everybody was just how down to earth and humble he is. And he doesn't, he, he say, I don't have all the answers right now and may not have all the answers, but I want to hear everybody's feedback. You know, and it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear that. Not that Reese didn't do that. And I, I enjoyed working with Reese a lot. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it was just time to do something different. Your uh, your Andrew Jones Braves slip of the tongue didn't go yeah, yeah. by the way. So. <laughs> uh, we alluded to uh, 2016 uh, Tour Championship, and uh, that was the famed reversal of the nines. Please take us through the decision-making process behind that, uh, the feedback you received. Uh, was it just intended for the – uh, the tournament itself, because I know now that it is a, it's for everyday play, but I yeah. don't think it was intended that way initially. It, it wasn't, and I, I'll be right up front. I was, I was completely against it because I'm a historical guy. The golf course had been played the way it was for a hundred years, over a hundred years. So it wasn't, I wasn't in favor of it. Uh, you know. It, they didn't like the fact that the last three holes were three of the most difficult holes in the golf course tour. And they wanted to switch the nine so that there was what they kept talking about was more volatility. Um, they got it right. Uh, I think every year since we've had that switch, the tournament has hinged on the last four to five holes, 14 through 18. And, and 18 was a whole, they, they tweaked a good bit because they wanted 
every player that had the ability to reach the green in two, but they wanted every player to have to think about if they really wanted to do it. And, you know, there's a wide range of length on the tour off the tee. So right. that was a bit of a challenge. Um, but I think we did a good job with that. And it's funny, the very first year we had a playoff, three guys, and they played 18 twice in the playoff and then went to 15, 16. Um, so I think from the very first tournament, you know, it's, it's been a home run. Um, our, our membership, we have a lot of guests play here. So everybody that saw it on TV wants to play it the same way they see it on TV. So it was, we were going to switch it for a while and switch it back. Uh, and it just became too popular the way it is. And it's kind of cool because you finish on 18 and the clubhouse is right behind the green. It's not the, the front of the clubhouse. It's not the prettiest side of the clubhouse. We're going to do some work on that and make it look better, but it's still a pretty neat little finishing hole. And it's a good, it's a good finishing hole. Right. So you said you were, you were against it just from a historic historical perspective. Uh, whose idea was it initially? That was PJ tour. Yeah. I, and I couldn't say if it was one person or a group of people, um, they came to us with the idea and we were sort of fighting it. Um, and I think they finally just said, look, this is what we want to do. And our plan is to do it. Right. So at that point it was okay, well, let's work together to make this work the way we need it to work. And we did some, some work on three holes. Uh, that year prior to the tournament made some adjustments and it's all, like I said, it, it's actually turned out for the best without question other than driving into the sun on the first hole. <laughs> right. So how does, you know, there, there's probably some historians out there who will have a, a little bit of a grind with a, a restoration project of a, a golf course that's sort of been flipped around like that um uh how does how does the 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 reversal fit into the i, I guess the the going back in time and augusta national flipped nines at one point people forget about that but i don't think there's going to be an issue with that I, I don't it's still the same 18 holes doesn't matter which order you play them in you're going to play the same holes everybody plays all 18s right so whether you start on one or you start on 10 or what used to be one or used to be 10 i don't think it makes any difference at all yeah radical change actually is part a, a big chunk of the history of augusta so yeah you could say that yeah <laughs> so uh speaking of change we'll go back to um 2007 and prior to that year uh or, or from that year forward had been uh bentgrass greens correct and correct. How, how many which obviously i think anybody would would sympathize with who anyone who spent any time in georgia in the summer would sympathize with anybody having to grow bentgrass under those conditions uh the pretty much everybody has made the change since then there might be one or two out there that have not made the conversion yet but how many at that time in 2007 were still growing bent grass around atlanta roundabout 
I, I think there was only between two and five courses that had converted at that point. Yeah. We were the first uh, high end, so to speak, club to do it. Right. So, and for those who don't remember, it was a particularly hot, humid uh, summer. I think a lot of, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a lot of cloud cover that year. Um, not a lot of rain, um, but a lot of a lot of humid days. Obviously, it's Georgia; it's the way it is. Um, but just take us back, uh, walk us through that summer. Very hot overnight temperatures, as I recall. Um, just a, a, a perfect yeah. storm for anybody trying to grow bent grass. Yeah, overnight temperatures was a big part of it. Uh, we were in good shape through uh, middle of July, going into August, and then. Yeah, it, it just all of a sudden we started hitting days in the hundreds, um, lows a lot of times in the mid 80s. Uh, it just never really cooled off. Um, grass plants just started kind of turning yellow and, and getting thin. It just felt like there was not a whole lot we could do to control it. You, you had to put some water on it, but then they, you put water on it and they were they're getting wet because you're so hot you're trying to cool them off but it was it's kind of like a catch-22 um and i think another big part of that was that was the first year of the fedex cup and we i think 2007 was the busiest year of play we've ever had and a lot of that play was in july and august believe it or not so while the grass was already struggling and it, it's getting walked on by lots of people you know, even if we do 140 rounds out here a day, which for us is a pretty busy day, you've got two caddies with each group. So it's really, you know, one and a half times that as far as foot traffic. Right. People tend to forget about that. So then take us through from in you know, August when things started to turn a little bit. And uh, I know there were some um, there was there was some concern whether the greens would be playable and so forth. Take us through that moment when things really started to struggle up the tournament and what you had to do to be able to keep that uh, the greens there tour worthy, so to speak. I don't know if they were tour worthy. It was the best we could do. <laughs> um, when, when I knew we were really in trouble, I called Cal Roth and said, I, I really need you to come down here and take a look at these things. And we're not doing well. Um, and the, the weather hadn't broken at that point. I think the day he was here, we were 106. Um, you know, we rode around, we looked at everything, saw how much play we had. Uh, he went to our GM and said, you've got to cut play. And, there's no chance if we can't cut, cut back play. I think we cut it in half uh, after that. Uh, some of the greens in areas were so bad, what we ended up doing was actually sodding 419 from a nursery on the, where the green was and shrunk the green in and created kind of wide collars in those areas to, just to make them playable because there was no way we were going to get the, the bent grass reversed there. We did some sod work in places where we could on the greens. Um, you know, a lot of light fertility and 
a very strong fungicide program, which we were already on. Uh, and just, we did finally catch a break in the weather. Um, I think advanced week, if I remember right, we finally started getting into the sixties at night. Occasionally there was a big difference in the grass just from that, uh, mm -hmm. just the way it responded. So uh, it's funny. I just saw a little clip from 2007 when, I don't know if you remember, but on Friday, I think it was Tiger Woods shot 29 on the front nine, which was now the back nine, but he made about a 60 footer on number nine for an Eagle. And the camera looking down on the green, the green looked fine. I mean, when they have a camera down on the ground and you watch the ball bouncing the whole way, that was, you know, that's the problem. Um, I do remember Phil Mickelson talking about how he felt like the ball sort of tracked better because the grass was a little longer than we normally would have it. So they, they, there was a lot of putts made that week. Um, our course record was shot by Zach Johnson that week. Um, you know, Tiger obliterated the tournament record. I don't hope that anybody ever comes close to that again, but I mean, nobody was better than him at just dialing in a distance and hitting it there and, they were so soft. I couldn't do anything about that. Right. He's just throwing darts and making putts. I don't think he missed a putt inside of 10 feet all week. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, and then it, 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 it was a lot better than I think any of the players expected because the tour put a letter in everybody's locker and said the greens are damaged at East Lake. You know, we're not going to let you play certain greens and practice rounds. And there was, I think they were trying to set expectations. Um, I think what they forgot was that put me right in their crosshairs. <laughs> so it wasn't a real fun week for me. Um, but I, I got my chance to get in front of a camera and kind of explain things. And I had some good industry people around here that supported me and publicly, and that helped. Uh, I know Ken was on camera and he talked about the difference in temperatures between the athletic club and here. It's 40 miles apart, but they averaged more than 10 degrees cooler than we did, especially at night. Yeah, I remember that year you were a finalist for our superintendent, old superintendent of the year award. And it was actually Ken who had nominated you. So I think your peers knew what you were going through, obviously. Yeah, I, I think they get it. I think, you know, anybody in this industry knows uh, if you have a year like that, it's no fun. When you have a year like that and it's in front of the world, it's really no fun. <laughs> um, but it was it was a good learning experience. And in, in the end game, you know, we, did, we converted the mini birdie the next year. And I think it was the best thing we ever did, you know, going to the Altredorf. Right. And um, I fought that, too. I mean, the tour wanted to do that the year before. I'm like, well, let's. I wish I hadn't, but I said, let's go a year and. See how it goes first. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done. It. I'm sure you came around pretty quickly after that. Yeah, it's yeah. You could say. <laughs> so, uh, what was the mini Verde your choice? I mean, there are, there are several options out there, uh, ultra dwarf options out there. What went into the decision to pick mini Verde? Uh, I had gone to probably two or three different seminars on Altredorf management and at the time um, the data for Mini Verde looked better than everything else as far as um, 
rooting, which was important to me, uh, winter tolerance, uh, yeah, just the things you kind of hear about with ultra doors that could be an issue. Um, it seemed like it was a very good choice. We, I went to a golf, a couple of golf courses that had many birdie. It was really impressed with what I saw with the grass. Uh, you know, probably could have done well with any of them, uh, but I felt like that was just the best grass for us. And, I, and it's been a really, really good surface for us for, I forget how many years now. Yeah, 16. 14, 14 years. Um, so you said you said that uh, uh, 2007 was a was a good learning experience for you. Besides the conversion to ultra dwarf, what were some of the uh, take home uh, moments out of the 2007 tournament for you? Um, I think I learned a little bit about not to overreact to things. I, I still struggle with that, obviously, at times, but um, that that went a long way to kind of teaching me a little bit of patience about, I still don't like to get negative comments, John. <laughs> Nobody does. I, I can handle a little bit better than I did then, probably, but uh, I did, it did, it, it forced me to, to kind of take the initiative and get, I, I, Rich Lerner was up by the practice screen. He had a camera with him, one of the practice rounds, and I went over and started talking to him. And next thing I know, he's interviewing me. And it was a great chance for me to kind of get our side of the story out there. Um, I probably wouldn't have done that in the past. I, I tend to try and stay out of the way and just let things be. But at that point in time, I'd, I'd taken enough. Uh, my family was getting pretty upset with some of the things they were hearing and seeing on TV. And, you know, it, it affected all of us, everybody on our staff. Um, we worked like dogs to try and make it through that tournament. So, Yeah, I remember you saying when you would go home at the end of the day, uh, you knew you were having a bad day when you were sitting with your family watching TV and you saw your name scrolling across the bottom of the of the screen yeah <laughs> that's not a pleasant thing <laughs> let's try to avoid that again right right um so but besides that aside obviously we know that was a difficult time uh, you know even places like east east lake and even people like ralph keppel you're not immune to the challenges that superintendents face every day uh, again, we'll take 2007 and we're going to throw that out. That's not an option. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced in your time, specifically at East Lake, and what you've had to do to overcome them? Well, when I first got here, it was two years before Mr. Cousins bought the club, and it was, uh, you know, this was a stepping stone job when I first came here. It was going to come in and, and, make some good agronomic agronomic changes try and bring the course back to some better years because they'd struggled for a long time uh, I was very very fortunate to be here when when Tom Cousins bought the club and put it into the foundation and he um I'm very grateful that he gave me the opportunity to stay he didn't have to do that um but he did and 
I've tried to make that up to him ever since. Uh, but those first two years, that was beyond challenging, <laughs> especially the second year because we only had a crew of like five. Wow. Uh, and we weren't allowed to have overtime. So my assistant and I did everything. We were here pretty much from sunup to sundown. So I guess it got me used to working some long hours, um, but we just did what we had to do at the time and it ended up working out well for me. Um, you know, we've had, you know, we've had some economic collapses that have kind of changed how we've had to run the club for periods of time. Uh, you know, things are going along pretty well and then, you know, 9-11 happens and all of a sudden things kind of changed in a heartbeat. Um, you know, you have to learn to adapt. Uh, I'm a little bit slow to adapt, I think, honestly. And sometimes it's not my best suit. I've been lucky that I've surrounded myself with some really good people. Uh, I've got a really, really good management team under me, uh, starting with Charles. Uh, and they can really help me with that kind of thing. Um, but as far as just, I mean, day to day, our challenges are different than probably a lot of places. Maybe not, but we do a lot of outings here. Uh, that, that's starting to finally go away as so we're adding more individual members, but it got to where it was difficult to find a Monday, any day that we could get out there and do some of the work we felt like we needed to do. I mean, that's gotten better. Um, We've worked pretty well with our general manager, um, trying to schedule things differently. Uh, you know, the challenge now is trying to find help. And okay. that's universal, uh, not even just universal to golf courses, it's just universal. Um, we, this year, finally dipped into the HTV program a little bit for the first time. And that's, so far has worked out great. And I'm hoping that the government will allow us to have a few more of those in the future. Hopefully, I don't cut the number again. Well, Ralph, uh, look, it was great catching up with you. Thank you so much for your time. Congratulations Thank for you, the recognition and just a, a real treat to get a chance to catch up with you. I appreciate it. Again, I'm I'm very humbled and honored to have been chosen. I, like I said, there's lots of people I think deserve this before me.